Section three of The Black Cat, Volume two, number four, January eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. The Black Cat, Volume two, number four, January eighteen ninety seven. Section three The Honeymoon at Candlestand Mountain by Grace McGowan Cook Nobody but me knows the true inwardness of how Bud Leonard got even with Jake Tarwater, even in something over for Lanyap. Just at present he wouldn't choose to graze nearer than within a hundred miles of Jake's range, and I wouldn't dare tell anybody but you, for, as it is, Jake is a thirst for his gore. Little idea as he has how justly that sanguineous fluid is forfeit to him. And if you should repeat it, and it got around to him, well, Bud would have to cut Texas, despising for his sake the cattle trade, and there is a world elsewhere. I always wondered at him and Jake going partners in the Palo Pinto ranch. They wasn't a pair you'd think would show similar brands at all. Bud was a fellow that would stand without hitching anywhere. You'd have liked him, I know. And Jake, well, he was just Jake Tarwater, and I can't say no meaner of him or any man than that. I found out before I was done with that Candlestand Mountain business that the only reason Bud had anything to do with the sneaking coyote was that he was narrating round watching for a chance to get even with him. However, when Jake had done him a meanness, it boots me not to say, which is my friend the poetry-sharp Byron's way of saying that it doesn't cut any ice here. At any rate, Bud had sworn he'd be up with him when he did it, and his chance came when Tarwater, the great unbroke five-year-old, went about to marry him a wife. Did Leonard help to let him in for a bad bargain? Oh, no, I've known Miss Lovabelle Beeler since she was a slim little girl, riding a burrow, riding it like the mischief, too, and trying to play lasso with a stolen clothesline. A better nor a prettier girl there is not in the state of Texas. She's got just one drawback, but that's a big one. She's old man Beeler's daughter. Old Pod Beeler is a true type of the prehistoric cattleman, a type now about as extinct as the dodo. At any time since I've known him, he would quarrel at the faint oscillation of an eyelid, shoot at the drop of the hat, he'd carry more whiskey a horseback than any man south of the natural stripe, wasn't rightly sober till he was four-fourths drunk, and was, as the rental agents say, in many other ways, an extremely eligible and desirable father-in-law. It may be that he felt his unfitness for the peaceful and even idyllic roles of father-in-law and grandsire. It is more likely that his conduct in regard to his daughter's numerous suitors was dictated by a keenly felt need of something over which to pick a quarrel. You see, he is the deadest of shots, and most of the good folks with whom he has differed have quit quarreling altogether, and gone where the wicked cease from troubling. A unanimity of behavior which has had a wonderfully ameliorating influence upon any foolish grudge or animosity others might have been tempted to cherish toward him. 
I reckon that I'm the only man that's walking around in Texas alive to tell that I once disagreed with old Pod Bueller. It was some years ago, when we were both younger than we are now, and though I'm obliged, under these circumstances, to say it for myself, I wasn't any slouch at that sort of thing then. If I remember rightly, I was chalking up a notice and description of a lost pony on the store wall. I spelled it W-H-I-T-E, white, and old Pod said it ought to be W-I-T-E, white. We fought to a draw. A draw! And old Pod was so pleased with my style of argument, they hired me then and there for a cook. Can't quarrel with your cook in Texas, and though I've acted as ranch boss and major domo too, for the old man since then, we've jogged along peaceably for nearly fifteen years. But this thing of his friends in the community at large agree en masse with any opinions he may feel moved to express has got so pronounced of late years that Pod finds himself, in his old age, most mighty hard up for a good row now and again to his hand in and his pluck up. Lovabelle and her postulant wooers fell in most admirably this long-felt want. He gave it out to all, and singular, that Lovabelle wasn't going to marry anybody, and at the time, Jake Tarwater came in to round up the old chap and managed to have fifteen rough tumble fights and three shooting scrapes on her account, because several unscheduled collar and elbow scrapes that didn't count much, and one or two fellows who disappointed him and ran. He undoubtedly felt that in Lovabelle he had much too good a thing to give up, and he was working it for all it was worth. Jake, in his usual sneaking way, made a strong play at getting on the good side of the old man, but his old pa didn't have it. That cinch slipped. Old Beeler worked Jake as I'd observed him to work most of the others. Let him carry Lovabelle to roundups, and to dances a few times, and generally grazed pretty free about the range till he thought the girl had her brand good onto him, and then he blew up. He announced to all comers that he'd heard that Jake has a wife and family back in Missouri, and that he intended to kill him on sight, if you ever heard of his fooling around his daughter, Lovabelle, again. I reckon there was never was a worse scared man than Jake Tarwater when he got this notice. You see, he had his own reasons for feeling extra panicky. Old man Beeler had given him more privileges and chances than he gave most, because Lovabelle didn't seem to take to him rightly. But she was young and fond of going, and she could dance very well. She just could. So, as old Pod had run off all her other bow, there was nothing for it. She wanted to go, and she had the life she led with old Pod at home. She always did want but to go with Jake. When that Missouri family story broke loose, Lovabelle came to me. I'm some older than Pod is. I loved her like a daughter fifteen years, and done my part to straighten out the trouble she'd bring to me. Well, she came to me and said, Oh, Hank, Hank Parcell's my name, I just wish I was dead, that's all. Here's Pa carrying on the way he is, and I married to Jake Tarwater. Oh, no, I said, for I thought she was just joking. It hasn't gone as far as a legal brand and double harness, and you're well rid of that chump. She looked at me real scared. Why, you've said yourself more than a dozen times that my only chance was to run off and marry some good man, she said, beginning to cry. 
well i had and if i had been twenty years younger and a marrying man i'd have been game to rustle the bridegroom for that wedding but jake tarwater how did it happen i asked we were over at the dance in emerald she said and jake came and sat by me on the porch and said oh a lot of things you wouldn't care to hear about how much he thought of me and if i'd have him how happy he'd try to make me and then he told me he'd asked pa and the pa was willing only he said for us to just go off and get married whenever we wanted to and not bother him i thought maybe that was so because you know pa did treat him as if he liked him till just here lately he wanted me to go across the street to the office of a justice of the peace who was a friend of his and be married right then and i wouldn't i heaved a great sigh of relief good girl i said then there's no harm done but she went on and like a woman the postscript was the nub of the story well she added he kept on begging and arguing and said that he and his partner bud lenard had sold out the palo pinto because bud was going east to be married and he had plenty of ready money now to take me anywhere i wanted to go for a wedding trip europe or anywhere and so i thought it didn't matter what became of me any more and if pa was suited why i might as well be and i went lord lord i groaned inwardly and lovabelle stock went down considerably in my books you never can tell what'll catch a woman a trip to europe for over a year at the most and jake tarwater for the rest of her life out loud i commented pretty short well i said then he'd better come and get you and take you to europe things are some hot here come and get me europe she repeated mighty slow and scornful he had to set up as soon as we were married and we had to keep a dead secret that he'd never dare to go marry me to pa and then after a while he let out that he hadn't sold the ranch at all and that he and bud expected to stay right here and work it just the same after he got the news broke to pa i spoke to him pretty rough i guess he said i was like his father anyhow when he wanted me to slip off and get over to santa fe and meet him there i told him i didn't have to go chasing all over the known world alone for any man and if he wanted me he knew where to come for me for now i'm so scared over this tale pa's telling on him and the way he's going about him that he'll never come and i'm glad sometimes when i think of pa finding out about it why i'd better be with jake never you mind honey i said maybe going off to jake is the best card you got left now and then again now there's a ripe bower staked out somewhere for you that we get our hands on him and win the pot anyhow i'm going to jake myself the point is you like the fellow or would you rather have some of the others you just pick out your one and i'm game to settle jake if he's not the one you want oh i hate them all she sobbed how could a girl anybody that hung around i'm so afraid of her father don't like anybody but you hank well i took this last with some salt but i went over to jake he said when i talked to him that his intentions were the best he was sure lovabelle was plenty gone on him and was afraid to say so on account of her father and 
when he interjected after cajoling her into marrying him secretly he said we'd break its old pod by degrees and then according to his time was expected that they'd all just wade in bliss chin deep as it wouldn't have been safe to open up on old pa with a thing of that sort by degrees or otherwise unless you had him hog-tied disarmed and pegged out on the prairie i knew when he expected to begin but it was plain that this story about the mazora family and the old man added the kid to the layout every time he told it and twins of a sunday ran into his calculations considerably i found that bud was trying to josh him around a bit and rouse some courage but that he just laid down i could see that he even had wild notions by spells of going back to that wife and family in missouri only he couldn't go for of course old pod had invented them for the occasion so jake didn't have him to go to well lovabelle went around mighty white for a while quiet and pretending she didn't put her money on anybody nor care a cent how things went and jake was lying low and afraid to be seen in the beeler end of the county when bud leonard had an inspiration down on the old alamocitis trail to santa fe there's a very odd little mountain it's a thing you'd like to see three hundred feet high if it's a foot and as flat on top as a table the sides are rock stratagem on stratagem as Shoof hepburn of the x-bar outfit used to say i reckon it was a little island once when all the world was in a sea and it must have stood up in a pretty stiff current for the water has undercut these walls of rock eroded is i believe the proper word till the top overhangs them all around this level top space is about three acres in extent rich alluvial soil covered with the finest pasture and it has living water the thing is on the land of the broken arrow company and when their men take beef cattle down to santa fe they always carry a couple of extra ponies along drive them up there and leave them till they come back in three months when they find them as fine and fat as stall-fed steers the ponies can't get down you see and nothing can get at them to hurt them how do they get the ponies up oh i forgot that i hadn't told you that there is leading steeply up the western brow of this natural fortress a narrow rocky trail the little spring on top fed by underground streams from a couple of peaks standing east and west and hundreds of feet above this little table-top makes a small waterfall over the side and is joined halfway down by a bold stream which leaps right out of the living rock the two go brawling and roaring under this trail i speak of which for them in a natural bridge fifty feet high and less than thirty feet wide in some places i have known ponies that couldn't be gotten over it without folding them and some men prefer taking it in the manner the lord provided for the serpent and his progeny to walk in erect this bridge trail leads out boldly from the brow and when we leaves the top there used to lie four or five big round bones which we boys would roll across it to keep the ponies though it was only now and then a bronco with the spirit of that in him who would have been likely to tackle it well as i say when bud saw jake so down on his luck to give the girl up an hourly terror that old pod who he was praying a foot in the horseback as the prophet says square chance or even a three-cornered one at him found out about that little transaction at the justice's office came an inspiration when he came to me about it 
I let on to him pretty freely what I thought of his partner, and told him that Lovabell was going to run away with him, none, even if he had the sense to propose such a thing. But that wasn't his plan. He never hung around the ranch, nor took none of old Pa's sass, like most of the rest of the boys in the county. But he had been enough of Lovabell to know that he wanted to help her out of the nines, and he proposed that she shouldn't have no responsibilities to worrying at all. Jake should just steal her, carry her off to Candlestand Mountain, take a few dynamite cartridges with him, blow the bridge when they were safely over, and let old Pod rage it in peace and comfort. In a few weeks, when the old man cooled down all right, he promised to go for them with a sort of hook-and-ladder arrangement and get them off their mountain. I didn't like Jake well enough to go into the thing, on any account, but the more Bud talked to me, the more I saw that the only thing to be done for Lovabelle was living in hourly fear that the old man would find out, and when he did, she said she'd rather be anywhere than where he was. So the more I heard of the plan, the better I liked it. Jake jumped at the idea. My private opinion is that he was so scared he'd have been only too glad to be up on the top of Candlestand, out of reach of old Pod, with the bridge blown down, girl or no girl. But of course, I never asked him, and he never said. Old man Beeler used to go down to Santa Fe himself, to trade, and he always took Lovabelle along for fear somebody would, in his absence, cut in and marry her. I usually stayed at home to run the ranch, but this year I insisted on going, for I was expected to carry messages to Lovabelle for Bud, and I wanted to see the fun. We went in the ambulance, with a small outfit and a few led ponies for riding. There was a good camping place about ten miles from Candlestand, and I was to have them make camp there. Old Pod always slept limber drunk. A stampede of buffalo bulls wouldn't have wakened him, and it was then and there that Bud proposed to help Jake steal his girl. Bud had some of his fun out of the provisioning of that hilltop for Jake's honeymoon retreat. He frowned Tarwater down sternly when he talked about putting in a pack or two of cards. Asked him what he thought a tender young creature like Lovabelle would know about seven-up or cinch. He expressed unmixed horror when the other wanted only a gallon jug of common disturbance along, and he'd have left out Jake's navy plug, only he thought it wasn't well to push matters too far, so he contented himself with spilling the kerosene over it. The things Bud omitted from that chuck-wagon, and the things of which he put in an irritatingly oversupply, were ingeniously planned. He had had time to think about it, and he concentrated his mind upon it. The night we made camp near Candlestand was as black as the hinges of Hades. Jake was loafing around the vicinity, and Bud had happened along by accident and camped with us. He did that so he could see that the old man got drowsy enough, though I told him that would see to itself. Notice where everybody was staked out when he turned in, and give Jake the signal to come up at the proper time. Tarwater had two little Spanish horses, as clever as trick ponies, and Bud had him rig them with a couple of poles running back like shafts from the girth of one to the girth of the other, and a sort of hammock slung between to put Lovabelle in, something like the Indians carry their children in sick. When the time came, and Bud gave me the signal, there was no Jake. Finally he had to slip out of camp and round him up, and even then he couldn't get the lame jackrabbit within hailing distance of the fire. 
Jake said it was more dangerous for him than for anybody else, because Beeler was laying for him, and known it be. Bub didn't stop to argue and say that old Pod usually killed one man as dead as another. But he took the bridle of Jake's foremost pony, and led him as near the camp as he dared, and came over to wake me. I was awake, of course, and when he whispered, I don't want to get you into any trouble, Hank. I know nobody'll ever know if you came out and gave me a hand now. And the game's up if you don't. I hopped up pretty lively. We lifted the figure that we knew to be the right one, in spite of its all-enveloping Navajo blanket, very carefully from its cocoon nest with toes to the fire, carried it over, and laid it in the hammock, and Bud put out for Jake at top speed. That worthy had drifted nearly a mile down the trail by the time he caught him, said he thought old Pod might wake up and find him there, and he would make it bad for Bud. Leonard didn't have to worry the procession any. Jake hardly stopped to ask if Lovabelle was square on the deal before they pounded off as hard as they could tear. About dawn, it was three o'clock when they started, Candlestand came in sight. Jake kept looking back at Bud as he rode behind. Dynamite in place, he hollered. Bud nodded. Betcha they'll dual damp that fuse and it won't go off, he howled. He was getting pretty wild. You shut up his companion cautioned. Don't wake the girl till we get her over that bridge. She seems to be asleep now, and she'll go over easier that way. They got down and took the pony's bridles, Jake the fore, and Bud the hind one. Lovabelle appeared to have gone very sound asleep, indeed. The hammock was as quiet as though it held a bundle of clothes only. Once safely over, and that was sure a tickless passage, Bud started the game he had been laying to play. By hitting the pony he led a tremendous slap and fired his pistol over its head. When it went off, of course the foremost pony and Jake had to get a lively move on them. I guess Jake thought for a minute that the old man was after them. He looked back scared enough. The hammock was heavy and boiling, and such language was issuing from it as seemed to surprise him, coming from Lovabelle. But didn't stop to observe all this. He caught it on the run as he sailed back to the bridge, fired the fuses, and hustled on over out of danger. When he got to a somewhat sheltered spot, where he calculated no flying rocks would hit him, supposing a premature discharge, he looked back. Old Pod Beeler had scrambled out of the hammock and was confronting Jake, swearing as only one man in Texas can swear, and reaching for the gun Leonard had taken off him the night before, when he was blind drunk, and before Bud laid him gently in his cradle bed. When he found the gun was gone, he reached down for his knife, which was right then in Leonard's bootleg. But it had been humane. He had disarmed him. The old man hadn't so much as a wooden toothpick on him. You see, Leonard didn't want Jake murdered. He wanted him to live to enjoy old Pod's undiluted society for weeks and weeks. Old Pod, deprived of whiskey, without a card to touch, and bliss rolled in on his soul as he thought of the kerosene tobacco. The old man, who had been swearing away all this time like the wrong sort of praying machine, wanted to know where in various kinds of places he was, and who in various kinds of people had brought him there, and asking all sorts of inconsiderate questions, which Jake was in no condition to answer, now found he was weaponless, if you count his tongue out, and started on the keen jump for Jake. Jake lit out like a mustang, 
the audience would have given a heap to have stayed and seen the end of that chase but the fun were sputtin close up and he turned and ran too as he reached his pony the blast tore loose the bridge broke all up and fell a mess of rock into the stream which fought a while flurried round a little bit found the easy way through as water will and ran on down the cannon laughing over the joke you needn't ask me how jake and old potter got down neither blood nor i assisted them to descend anyhow i had to keep strictly out of it you see and i know nothing so i could tell nothing you may ask the floating cowboy population of jack county and west texas generally in the song legend epic and story of which campfires the tale is embalmed and told with as many variations and contradictory endings as an old ballad some of these say that the ilias sordid two on a tower stayed up there till old pod driven by starvation and rage and jake and was always afterward troubled in his mind to decide which one he mostly was another recites that they came down from that chastening experience as gentle and loving as kittens and lived ever afterward a damon and pythias existence another in verse this time and plainly but a bald parody on the kilkenny cats tells that they fought and fought and fought till there's nothing left but jake's boots and old pod's breeches and whiskers but leonard hadn't time to stay much as he would have liked to do so to see the outcome of his inspiration he knew jake cornered and desperate would fight and at will he knew old pod whiskeyless tobaccoless provisioned with two ounces of coffee a half barrel of sugar plenty of good nourishing bread and pounds and pounds of pepper would shame a fiend from the bottomless pit but he had other fish to fry than staying to see the fun he had to go back on the trail some miles and inform lovabelle with whom i had found out by this time he had had a better acquaintance than jake her father or even i had ever suspected of a scheme and taken her on to santa fe on a wedding trip you see that careless lie jake threw in for good measure in regard to bud's being about to go home to get married was a thing that got him the girl though he never guessed but then the term of the j p who married her and jake had expired a month before he spliced them he wasn't any more account to marry anybody than the last year's bird's nest but he was just a cow-puncher and careless about dates and he forgot to remember when he was elected and kept on judging and marrying and divorcing people after his brand had expired as it were but leonard never had any trouble with his father-in-law either maybe this is because they have never seen him since they got married it's a simple plan anyone a young child even might have thought of it and by this means they get along with old pod first rate end of section three read by greg giordano newport ritchie florida